You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hi, friends, and welcome. I'm really glad you could be here. I have a special guest to introduce. But before I do, I thought I would share something with you from the day we recorded. A little inside baseball, so to speak. In case you're one of those people who likes to peek behind the curtain, I'll give you some BTS action. That's behind the scenes. You know that feeling when you're by yourself and you see something really cool? Let's say you're on a solo hike and you come across a great view that you weren't expecting to see. Or you're on a road trip through Alberta, Canada, and you see a wild animal, like a mama grizzly. Or maybe you're in Capos, Costa Rica, and you see a two-toed sloth hanging upside down in the jungle. Something rare. Something that even if you went looking for it two or three times a day, you'd be unlikely to find. Well, what happens when you see it? Remember, you're by yourself. Well, what happens to me is I wish somebody was there with me to witness it too. Usually somebody I'm fond of, somebody I'm grateful to have in my life. Well, when today's guest and I were recording this episode, I was thinking to myself, I really wish some of my listeners were here to take part in this discussion, especially some of you who text me or message me on Instagram with feedbacks from episodes that you like. What happens is it prompts a discussion about something that was said on the podcast, and we end up in a back and forth about current events. I love it. My discussion with today's guest had everything the cool kids would call weekend vibes. (laughs) I say that because it was a Saturday morning. I messaged her to let her know that it was going to be a very chill sort of conversation. That although I had sent a video conferencing link, I'd do that just to make for a better conversation. I wasn't going to use the video, and so I wanted to let her know. In other words, show up, hat to the back, pants optional. It's going to be that kind of party. We each had a cup of coffee. And we just let it rip for what was now the biggest or longest man overseas podcast episode to date. I asked questions about her dating life, about her days as an Oakland Raiders cheerleader. Since she did PR for the Raiders, I asked her thoughts on the Drew Brees debacle a few weeks ago. I read her a few statements from companies like Amazon and Netflix that they had released to show support for the black community. I wanted to get her thumbs up or down, see what she thought. Also, I learned before we started recording that she and I share a birthday. We celebrated yesterday. Not together, obviously, but she's in California. I'm in Mexico. But we were brought into the world on the same date, and I think that's pretty cool, 12 months apart. So as I said, lots of candor in this fun discussion. Since she's a PR expert, she gives us a look at behind the scenes of how good messaging comes together. And I'm a student of communication. So I love it. She shares lots of insight. How the sausage is made, basically. (laughs) Every time I hear the word sausage, I think of Randy Taylor. (laughs) I don't know where you people come from. I don't know if you test your products, your quantity of your products. Your products are very delicious. Loved your sausage for 30-something years. I don't mind paying you a little more for your 16-ounce roll of sausage. (laughs) but you don't have it anymore. You've got a 12-ounce roll, and you've got three men that weigh over 200 pounds a piece, 
and a woman that's a little plump, <laughs> scotch girl, it just goes on and on. And you're going to try to take a 12-ounce roll of sausage and feed that? It ain't going to work. And as for your maple and sage, I ain't going to eat that. I'm a Texas man. <laughs> I'm a Texas man, too. So I've got to agree with Randy. And if you're not familiar with that Jimmy Dean classic call, it is worth a trip to the YouTubes to check it out. I'll include a, a link in the show notes. But for me, I, I want to know how the sausage is made. I love that stuff. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. I'll be right back. Why buy when you can rent an item from someone in your neighborhood with Idle? It's easy. You have an item, you list that item for rent, another app user is looking for that item and rents it from you, and you get paid. Rent everything you need, when you need it, in a location close to home. Get the app today. Visit getidle.com. Idle. Rent anything. My guest today is Nicole Rodriguez. She is a powerhouse founder of two companies, NRPR Group and the Young Dreamers Foundation, as well as host of the YouTube show, Beverly Hills Boss, and author of Beverly Hills Boss, the book. She does all this while being a great mom. She's an award-winning, well-rounded public relations and marketing pro. Clients that have benefited from her counsel and skill include Sony Pictures Entertainment, Heel, Dialpad, Dolby, Yahoo, Moby TV, Sony PlayStation, Plantronics, Hulu, YouTube, MGO, Toon Hero, Demand Media, now Leaf Group, and other dominant companies. So Nicole works over there in the Golden State, home of Hollywood celebs and other highfalutin nannies. <laughs> Their voices have become quite vocal through this time. I'm sure you've all seen the viral videos, starting with coronavirus. I'm convinced people who play pretend for a living can show more empathy in a selfie video than you're even capable of. So don't even try it. By the way, if any of you are interested in helping a worthy cause beyond black squares and bow tie affairs, there are links to organizations that I support at the bottom of manoverseas.com. Use them. I don't keep them there as a virtue signal, for Christ's sake. If you haven't yet figured out that I don't give a shit what people think of me, that means you're probably a new listener, and I should take this opportunity to welcome you, so thank you for being here. <laughs> but these projects have been fully vetted by me and a buddy of mine, Adam Greenbaum. He and I taught at the project school called Chikambuso. My wife and I taught at the other. These are orphan kids born without the knowledge that they won't live a full life because they can't afford the drugs that they need to treat the disease they came into the world with, HIV. If no interest in sponsoring a kid, that's fine. You can just put a care package together. They would be so grateful. If you do, you may find yourself with a new eight-year-old pen pal. I say pen pal because they still send letters the old school way. It's pretty cool. Handwritten. Oh, you know what? If you are the virtue signaling type of the sort that thinks you're a good person for what you say rather than what you do, I would think you could get a boost to your standing as a social J-dub just by sharing the link. Because come to think of it, these kids and widows all have a darker skin tone. Think about it. Now, as you know, we don't say without further ado on this show, we just bring on the guests. So I sincerely hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Nicole Rodriguez. Please enjoy. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Brad. It's good to be here. So you're in Beverly Hills, California. Has there been any looting or rioting going on lately? Yeah, so uh, we are currently, or I am 
currently um, not in Beverly Hills because of the looting and the, the protesting. My brother, thankfully, lives in Camarillo, which is about an hour away. And I'll tell you, uh, when this all started happening, the first protests in Beverly Hills, I, I left my house to go to the grocery store. And I drove no more than two quick blocks, and it was just flooded with people. And now I live right by Rodeo Drive. I work really hard um, as, as a single mom, having to make sure that my daughter lives somewhere where even in the middle of the night, I feel safe. Beverly Hills to me was that neighborhood. It's been that way for 10 years or nine years I've lived in Beverly Hills. It was the first time that I did not feel safe for us. There were people with, with signs that that just, it hurt my heart, you know, being a Latina myself, seeing people with signs that said, literally, kill the rich, we're coming for your money, which had nothing to do with George Floyd. And to me, there's just a lot of displaced anger and I get it. But at the same time, I didn't know what things were going to kind of pop off. And in the middle of the night on Saturday, all I could hear was, helicopters, people parking up and down my street that didn't live there, coming out with signs, yelling, going over to Rodeo and different areas right right there in my neighborhood, trying to like kind of more like riot rather than peaceful protest. I couldn't even walk my dog in the middle of the night because I, which I normally could two, three o'clock in the morning, no problem. Was there increased <laughs> police presence in the area? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like, like a war zone. There were like military people. I've never seen Beverly Hills that way. I mean, you exit Wilshire and at the same time you see these like military men in these trucks just packed up and ready to unload. And it's never in my life would I have dreamed that that's what I was going to see in my neighborhood. Had they been breaking into the high-end shops on Rodeo Drive? Yes, absolutely. Like, and this is where we like we walk every day, you know. And a funny story, and I don't mean to to sound, you know, whatever. I hope this doesn't come off wrong. But you know, my daughter, she turned nineteen, and I wanted to surprise her. You know, she's a good girl, you know, and so I wanted to set an appointment because now with the pandemic, you can set appointments to go to certain stores. And she's getting into her like high-end collecting things. Like last year, I bought her some really beautiful pearl earrings. Um, and then, you know, for Christmas, I went to Italy and uh, came back and brought her a little Prada purse. And then from there, she was like, it was her first designer purse. And so, of course, for her 19th birthday, she had like, well, I should get a casual this. And and I thought, you know what? You've earned it. She's getting straight A's in college. And I, like I said, I work very hard to be able to afford certain things. And so we had an appointment, you know, for her to be able to go and and grab the purse that she wanted. And thankfully those stores already plan ahead for things like that. You know, there's really, really thick glass that you can't break through, but we couldn't do that. So I had to order it online for her and, you know, have it delivered. But so you have a 19 year old daughter. Did you have a child when you were eight? Is that about right? I had her when I was just turning 22. I actually owe so much of my success to her because 
of what I wanted to be able to show was possible. You know, that being a mom doesn't mean it's a death sentence to your career. You know, it certainly wasn't for mine. Well, that's cool. And something I've never considered that if you have a kid young, it gets to witness your ascendance. I've done quite a bit. She will conquer the world. She's got the playbook. How do you think the world changes or at least your world post COVID? Are you going to require people be in the office more? And I'm curious too, do you think your rent is going to go down? How does commercial real estate get affected by this? Yeah. So I've, I've done some negotiating, you know, we pay our rent on time. We pay every month, even during this pandemic, we've still, because we fiscally can, I'm not trying to take advantage of anything. I know that our country is hurting. And for those of us who can responsibly pay our bills, we should. And so, but I, I called our landlord for our, our office and I said, look, I'm going to be real straight with you. We're not going to be back in the office for a couple of months. And I know I've signed a lease and all of that stuff, but you also know I'm a very responsible tenant and I'm looking for our, our long term here. We're not using that space. I could easily do the smart thing, be able to invest more money into my people. And, you know, we can cut some of this space and, you know, I'll, whatever, let's, how do we figure that out? Mm-hmm. And he came back to me and he said, you know, we talked to the, the owners and whatever. He goes, you're right. You know, you're a great tenant. You're, you always pay. And he's like, why don't we cut your rent for however long you're not going to be here? So you can reinvest that in your people. So a couple people got raises actually in the pandemic. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and I, so I, I gave that to the people. And it, seem, it seems like there would need to be some transparency from landlords as to whether or not their loan is given a break, whether or not the mortgage company, if they have a huge loan, is giving them a break. Wouldn't you agree? I don't, I don't think we're seeing a lot of that. Absolutely. I think but, there needs to be transparency on everyone. It's just like a relationship, right? So I have a relationship with each of my employees, which is why I'm, I'm big on transparency and communication and relationships. Even, even the hard stuff, it's like, well, let's just talk it out. And like, let's just see where everybody's at. It doesn't need to be an argument. Let's just chat, right? And so with my team, I never want them to feel nervous. It's like, well, how are you feeling? What do you need to see? What is, you know, whatever. And I'll, I give it to them straight. Same thing with renter, you know, um, owner situation. Like, well, what's up? Do I have a couple of months? Are you getting a couple of months? Because you know what could help me? Why don't we take this rent that I would normally give you if you don't need to pay your whatever? I could actually put that towards, you know, a a loan that we took out or we can use that as an investment or I can go and do this and I can still at the end of this pay you the rent in a lump sum. But I understand if you still need to be paying your loan, I don't want you to hurt. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, but where you may run into trouble is what if you have a wealthy landlord who has the place paid off? I used to worry about going public with the fact that I had properties paid off. I was on a show called Bigger Pockets, and mm-hmm. sure enough, one of my tenants used that against me and said that you don't need the money. Not during COVID, this was pre COVID, but we were arguing over a when we did the walkthrough when they were moving out, and I had to dock her some some money from the security deposit 
and she got ornery with me. And it just so happens to be the only tenant I've ever had that's mentioned the fact that I am in a decent financial position to where I, you know, I don't need money to, I'm not going to starve if I don't get a rent check, but it was eye-opening like oh man this is this is the downside of going public with any of this so anyway there that would be a um an exception you know that that this would get tricky hear hear me out in this and and this is coming from the person renting knowing that if my landlord owned it outright i would still respect the fact that as a woman and a business owner i signed a contract you as the owner that money is probably going towards something right maybe you are saving to get another property maybe you have another property that people are renting from they're not paying and you still need to make sure you're paying that loan do you know what i mean of course i so, do but you're so using I, an imagination that probably 25 percent of the population doesn't have right. <laughs> so they're only yeah uh, so they're only focused on their own situation and their own emotions and many people in the world i know this from traveling yeah. through mexico if if you have it and they don't they feel entitled to it a lot of times it it's, drives me crazy because yeah. here's the thing i didn't come from much and I understand there's a struggle to build, but once you do, I'm like, and, and you want to come here. And that's why, you know, when I saw those signs, kill the rich, we're coming for your money. And I'm like, do you know what I have done to care. get here as a single mom, a Latina at that, who had to pay every dollar of her own college and start her company with her own money and no investor money? That explanation that you just gave took 10 seconds. You're not going to have that much time to explain. <laughs> right? It's so, so based on what's going on in America right now, I would think mm-hmm. that your job becomes very interesting. How are interesting. you approaching? <laughs> yeah. Like, how are you approaching client conversations around messaging for what's happening right now? So, for example, Amazon came out and made a statement. Netflix has made a statement. Give me your it's thoughts. All- all PR behind those statements. Right. Which, which is, is what you do, right? Exactly. So it really depends on the client and the industry. It depends on what moves they're making and who they care about in terms of their audience. It, with this pandemic, employees have become a big audience for employees now, not our employers. Not all companies look at internal communications or, you know, their own corporate comms um, as being important. It's important. Internal comms has become everything. It always has been though for my company. I communicate with my team, sometimes over communicate. Like I, guys, I want you guys to know where we stand. Here's how things look here. You know, where, where there were times where it's like, look, we all just need to hunker down. We're going to be busy. You know, I'm, I'm getting calls from all of these CEOs who need help. So, and it's crazy out there. So let's just get ready, get ready for the work and know that the, the energy that you're putting in is not going unnoticed, which was why when we were able to get a little mini sort of break for a couple of months, like a little mini discount on our rent, it went straight to employees that I wanted to make sure could get raises. 
a lot of companies have come to me and said, I need to make sure my employees feel good. We're so used to talking to our customers. And I'm like, okay, so talk to me. What, what is actually going on? You know, and so many of these CEOs trust me. It's like I'm an internal person, right? Like it's like I work at the company and we set it up that way. It's like, look, I, I want to make sure that your company keeps going because as you go, you keep us as your PR team. And that's how I keep growing my business and my team. So, so are you on I, retainer, almost like yeah. an in-house counsel? That's right. So due to the nature of your work, do you find yourself critiquing statements more? For example, Amazon's came out All day, every day. They said, Amazon stands in solidarity with the black community. We remain steadfast in our support for our employees, customers, partners, and the communities where they live and work. And we stand in support of organizations that are making a difference. So do you read that and say, solid? Or do you say, nope. that's not what I would have done? That sounds like corporate, not human. <laughs> that sounds like it didn't come from someone's heart. In a time when people are nervous, you have to remember you're speaking to humans. You're not speaking to an SEO machine. So what Talk were they doing there? Do you think that was more targeted internally because they have hundreds of thousands of employees or was that more that external was, customer focus? That was, we just need to put out a statement. What, do, what would we normally say in corporate speak? <laughs> and someone looked at it, approved it. It wasn't written by, you know, a CEO. But do they need to we hurry? And how, do you, how do you, you know, would, like, how soon to do it? Is it mostly feel and instinct? It, you know, it's, it's trying to be as proactive as possible. Our job as leaders is to keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on in terms of like, you know, listening to the internal people, seeing what's going out on out there. And it's, it's strategy like war, you know, you're always trying to think about what the other person's next move is. It, the sooner you can say something, the better as a leader, as soon as something like a crisis that's not planned comes out. And even if it's just a statement that we're, we're working things out. Hey guys, this is brand new to us as well. Buying some time. Give us a moment. And we're going to come back to you after we regroup. And we're going to let you know exactly. We're going we're gonna to take things into account. We're going to look at what's going on. We're going to ask the right questions. And then we're going to come back to you with all those answers. You could say something like that. People will wait because then it's like, okay, then I know they're thinking about it. Mm. Instead, have, you gotten, have you gotten messages from CEOs asking you to start helping with statements like I just read to you from Amazon? absolutely for news for big things like this what should we be saying to our people it's like okay let's talk what do you what do you want them to feel and what what's really going on what amazon did we stand in solidarity with the black community fuck <laughs> so do you we, become the writer or the editor in that situation both sometimes there are ceos who are like i'm just going to brain dump on you nicole can you take this? And we've captured notes from HR, from the CEO, from all constituents, right? Our head of sales. Here's, here are the notes, Nicole. What do you think? And then I'll still have a conversation like, okay, get me into the energy of, of what you guys want. And it's almost like Google Translate, right? You put it in and it's like, well, here's really what I think all of you are trying to say. Here's Netflix's message. To be silent is to be complicit. Black Lives Matter. 
we have a platform and we have a duty to our black members, employees, creators, and talent to speak up. What are your thoughts? What exactly is that saying? (laughs) Well, I think it's intentionally vague, right? Exactly. And I say, F that. Where's the passion? Where's the care? Where's the, where's the human in that? Stop it. And that is, that is a big thing that I have with corporate. They, they're, they err on the side of so much caution that people don't believe that they're really being heard. And that's why they're angry. Well, Netflix has a reputation for doing things oddly. And you, you may know this better than me because you're over there in California. But as a tiny shareholder, I do pay attention. They have a rule where you can't make eye contact with the opposite sex for more than five seconds. So what we're doing right now, I think I would need to look away from like I just did <laughs> uh, from when I started my sentence. I mean, it's incredible, but these are yeah. progressive organizations. That is progress in their eyes. No pun intended. We are humans doing business with humans. I think real human conversations need to happen. That's why real human messages need to go to the humans. We are not corporate robots. And that is a huge issue. I don't care if you hold the CCO title at Netflix and the CEO tells you to whatever, you better come at that as a human in times like this. And that is the part that bothers me that like, you know what, as a communicator, my job is to help police the image of this company. And if your image is just stonewall corporate, I, I mean, I don't even want to work for you. You know what I mean? I don't care if you're Netflix. Right. If you see a statement like that from huge potential accounts like Amazon and Netflix, do you try to get in there? <laughs> well, no, because he, here's the thing. You've got, uh, you know, a and believe me, I've worked with other PR people and I, I will tell you, not all PR people are created equal and I'll stand toe to toe. I don't care. I mean, I used to represent YouTube and, and Hulu for God's sakes. So don't come at me with, you know, a, a title like, oh, well, I'm the chief communications officer. That means I know everything. Well, that statement can sucked. How about that? <laughs> it wasn't human and it's not right. And if you're thinking with your corporate hat and not your human hat in a time like this, you will be criticized. I take what I do very seriously. I look at PR as my art. I look at communication as my art. And I look at understanding what humans want to hear at the same time being very clear and, you know, whatever. But this is why, you know, my clients that I've had have stuck with me for years because it's like, wow, you've really helped us infuse human into what it is we're trying to say and what we're trying to do. And it helps them do business. Right. And I, it just, uh, so no, I wouldn't go into Amazon and Netflix and, you know, cause they'd be like, well, we're Amazon and Netflix. And <laughs> because of that, you know, this is, I'll tell you, um, Anastasia of Beverly Hills. It's a great like makeup company. Cause I've been watching everyone's statements also because I have to see what reactions have been to people's statements as I'm drafting them for my clients because some of my clients were like, shouldn't we say all lives matter? And I was like, whoo, only if you want to go up in flames, not on my watch. I would not let you do that. And so they're like, really? I'm like, yes, because I watch 
the reactions to other corporate statements and the ones that were saying, we believe all lives matter. It's not a time right now for all lives matter. In general, in life, yes, they do. But our black community specifically, and, and, and they want you to say that. The, the black people need us to stand behind what's going on because what's going on with them, they're in pain. I'm a Latina. I'm not trying to be like, oh, lives matter because Latinas matter too. No. Right now, black lives matter. And that's the message. So again, it's my job to be responsible to see what's going on out there so that as I'm crafting messages, I'm thinking about all angles and all people. And I'll tell you, for all of the clients that I've drafted messages for, not one backlash at all. And that is because they're coming at it human and we're keeping an eye on, on what people really just, they want to hear. They want to know you stand with them. So this, we stand in solidarity with blah, blah, blah. People know let's, that that's not real. Let's talk about interview situations because uh-huh. True Breeze got in trouble. A statement that he made in support of the American flag. He's sort of the CEO of the himself. Saints in a way. Well, himself oh. too. Yeah, I guess Drew Brees as a as a brand. <laughs> there are going to be journalist types who are going to try to get you to say the wrong thing if that's possible. Would you then advise your CEO clients to maybe try to avoid interviews right now because it's so touchy? No. And here's the reason why. Let me just tell you that in general, because I've also worked in NFL, like sports PR, the thing that kills me most of the time, these athletes are put in media situations without having conversations with a true PR strategist before going on. And Drew Brees, is like, all right, cool. I'll just have a conversation. I'll just go off the cuff. Are you freaking kidding me? You're going to, you're going to throw Drew Brees out to the wolves. It's almost like he needs to study. Well, Drew, what if they say this? Oh, uh, what? I'll say this. No, here's how you need to position that. And you got to give it to him. You can't expect that Drew is doing all the research. He's on the field. He's practicing. He's doing his thing. This is where a true PR person would come in and say, Drew, things are crazy right now. You are going to be the voice for us, the saints. This person is going to ask you questions. And guess what? Before that person asks some questions, you should ask the journalist, what is it that you want to make sure is accomplished in this interview, right? What questions do you feel you want Drew to be ready to answer for you so you get what you need? And a media person who really wants to make sure they, they get an inter, a good interview, they're going to give you a lot of what it is they want. They're going to say, well, I'm going to ask him about this. I, I want to make sure we touch on this. And then we're going to do this. Now, they might ask a question after that, but you're going to get the gist of what it is they want to accomplish. So you're going to give that to Drew. Hey, I just talked to Joe over at ESPN.com. He wants to make sure you touch on this, 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 and this. So these are some of the points that you definitely want to hit, some things that you want to avoid. And if he asks this, this is how you you navigate around it. Mm. No one is coaching these guys and they're throwing them out in the fire and that's irresponsible. And that is my thing with sports PR. 
and celebrity PR because I see it all the time. I saw it when I was working with the Raiders and that was a big part of what I, I did. You know, I would come in and I, I talked to some of the players, Hey, rest in peace. God bless him. Coach Willie Brown and our late GM, Mike Lombardi. They believed in a young girl who understood the power of the spoken word and the way to deliver it. They believed in me and I, I was given a position of player development coordinator and I was working with the rookies who were coming in scared. They were coming in like, well, how do I talk to the media? What should I say? And I would have conversations with them. I'm like, well, they're going to ask you why, why you've joined the Raiders. So can you answer that for me? So I would just listen and I would say, okay, what to me, what I think you're really trying to say is you're really excited about the upcoming season and about being mentored by the guys who've been on the team for a long time, right? And that you're here to also learn. And though you've done great things in college, this is the big stage and you're ready for it. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay, can you say that for me? Why do you want to join the Raiders? And they're like, well, I'm really looking forward to the next season. So it's giving them their own words, but with confidence. And then if they ask you something you're uncomfortable about, here's how you can do that. Hey, that's a really good question. I don't feel comfortable answering that one right now, but I'm ready for the next question. If you, you know, if you've got it, so you could do it with personality, not like no comment. <laughs> That's not when, human. In 2008, it's the only time I ever traveled to Oakland. I got off a plane and I went to enterprise rent a car to rent a car. And there was this dude sitting across from me. We were about four feet apart mm -hmm. and he was built like a Greek God. I mean, he was so stacked and he was Hercules. all tatted up. Yes, I knew he had to be somebody. And so I started going through, I was traveling for work uh, in San Francisco. So yeah. I was just flying into Oakland and then I was going to drive on over. So I had San Francisco on the brain, not Oakland. And so I started thinking through the 49ers, who could this be? And he was on the phone the whole time. Otherwise, I would have talked to him. The only mm -hmm. words that I could understand that came out of his mouth were million dollars, million dollars. He kept saying, I asked the sales rep, who was that guy? And he said, oh, that was Darren McFadden. I said, wow, yeah. I've yeah. heard you say that communication is not what you say. It is what the other person hears. Yes. And I can't think of a time where it would be more applicable than now. What frustrates football fans when they watch coaches or players being interviewed is that they're speaking in empty platitudes. Are they coached that way? To they're not, not give away any information? Okay, they're not coached. They're not coached, not well enough. I'll tell you, they're not being coached from, from, a, from a human standpoint. That was the thing that I feel was my gift. In my three months of not being paid, I didn't, I didn't care. I, I also became a Raiderette. There's some really great communicators. You know, I have to say, I feel like, Rich Gannon was a good, he was a good leader, good man, good interviewer, right? Or interviewee. It's always good to have, you know, I always say, even the president has a press secretary, dude. Why aren't you giving these players? It's like they don't take it seriously enough. But then again, it's our job as the PR people to, to make it serious, to make it clear. Here's what could happen if you just put Drew Brees on with a media person and look what happened. People lost any good message, and then they focused on the bad one. Your experience as an Oakland Raiders cheerleader interests me. So I've, I've had a few friends that have been 
NFL cheerleaders, one of their biggest complaints was the pay. It was something like $75 a game. Is that about what oh. you made? Hell no. Less the Raider and the, the, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders are the two highest paid cheerleading teams in the NFL. And you know what? And anyone who wants to just complain about the pay, mm-hmm. don't take the job. You know what it is before you get into it. And you also know what a resume builder it can be. Mm-hmm. So per game, we were definitely paid more than that per game. But where we made a lot of our money was in the efforts that we made to do like calendar sales in appearances. You know, people would request us to go to certain events, golf tournaments, whatever it is, and we would get paid sometimes in cash. So ladies, that was cash that you didn't pay taxes on. Straight cash. I'm calling all of you out because we all were able to earn a certain amount of money without that. You know, you do the right thing, you claim it, you whatever. I know very many people who didn't. So if you became an NFL cheerleader for the pay, don't take the job. What was the you biggest adrenaline rush you had being an NFL cheerleader? Oh God, so many. I would say the very first game. You can't guess. Like I had been to Raider games before. Um, so anyway, but I want to be on the record and say I have zero complaints about how much money I made as a cheerleader mm-hmm. because I'll tell you having that on my resume, doing that and the PR, the experience and the friendships and the family and the love that I have for the Raider organization, I was paid. I was paid in the millions. The Raiders still call me if they need advice on messaging. Come That's on. Awesome. So ladies, you're not risking your lives the way the guys are. They are getting concussed. They are killing themselves out there. They are also killing the amount of time that they have to get into another career. Y'all can work and have other jobs at the same time, which was what the Raiders required us to do, which is why we didn't do it for the money. Do most girls have a cheerleading background or a dance background? Both. It really depends on the organization. For me, I had um, mostly a cheerleading background. I'd been a cheerleader from the age of eight through high school. And then after I graduated college is when I cheered for the Raiders. My background was mostly in cheerleading and not just dance, but there are some teams that are mostly focused less on the cheer part, which bothers me because then that means you get a bunch of dancers in there that don't know the difference between defense and offense. And I'm like, (laughs) you realize that your job is to fire people up when we are on defense and you need to shut up (laughs) when we have the ball, literally shut up when we have the ball, let these men concentrate a cheerleader you are helping control the energy of the stadium to work in the team's favor. If you don't know the difference between offense and defense, you're in it for the wrong reason. (laughs) That's the sort of insight I'm looking for. That's something I hadn't considered. I want to talk about self-promotion. I saw a tweet that recently said, if you don't promote yourself, your family will starve. Now, before I get your thoughts, when I was a kid, It was drilled into me to be humble. If my dad heard something positive that was said about me, he would, he wouldn't tell me, but on the rare occasion, he did tell me, he would always preface it with, now, I don't want you to get the big head, but so it was always couched in terms of don't get full of yourself, but Mr. Johnson's about said whatever about you. So 
in the small town where I grew up, the word cocky was used a lot to describe guys that were full of themselves. Well, there's a difference. There is, but I mean, I can remember an older kid telling me that I had a cocky walk one time. I must have been about 11 years old, and I probably still do have a cocky walk. But I can remember being conscious of that and trying to eliminate any little hitch I might have in my step. Like a like a gangster limp or something like some kind of cockiness. So I was I was constantly on myself about this about being humble. So when I would see Donald Trump on TV, like on Oprah or on Larry King Live or one of those shows, I was turned off because he was such a, a brash self promoter. A lot of his ascendance to the presidency, I think, had a lot to do with him being a self promoter for forty years. Before it was not only accepted, but expected, right? Because we're all required to be self-promoters now. And I have a hard time doing it. Take from that, wherever you want to take off from there, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And it's a really, really, really good question. And I think that there's a difference between confidence and cockiness. And that's where the ego plays. And I feel like being a communicator and and now doing this for as long as I have, you can read through um, energy in communication and hear where the ego is coming in and where it becomes about them versus I'm really proud to be able to share. And and mind you, I couldn't have grown my PR company without self-promotion. I believe in the power of PR and positive communication and sharing the wins. The wins can be uplifting for people. It can give other people hope where they don't see it. And so again, I feel like a a woman, single business owner, right? I have no investors and no partners that without self-promotion and doing it the humble way, there is a way to do it. You can win positive attention and not turn people off. So the way to do that is to remember that when you're writing or when you're speaking, it's not about you, it's about them. So whenever I share that something big has happened for the company, we've hit a milestone, we just celebrated six years. If I didn't say I was proud about that, how many people people who would see that post or see the press release not be inspired that they could also do it. So if you look at it from a way of how can I use this message to inspire others, then the ego is taken out of it and you're not self-promoting to help your ego. You're self-promoting for inspiration and that's the difference between a really good leader, communicator, and someone who, look, Trump understood the power of the press, the power of promotion, the power of recognition. Because there's some power when people know you. There's, there's familiarity. But there's a way to do it to actually win favor. So again, I just use that as, that as an example. You know, if you reach a milestone for your podcast, a million downloads, a million listeners, whatever. I'm, I'm humbled. 
I'm humbled by the fact that all of you are finding such value in my content. You should congratulate yourself and then make sure that the audience understands that, you know, there was hard work that went behind it, but it's for you. It's for all of you. And I'm going to continue doing this for you. And I hope that this helps. I like that. It's great advice. I saw one time somebody tweet that to do a charitable act and then to post about it on social media was a Photoshop of the soul. But the counter argument to that is that you are inspiring your buddies to do something too. That's right. So it's, it's tricky and it's changed so much, of course, with the advent of social media. But for example, I am close with the uh, football program where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And some of those guys, we follow each other on Twitter. And I will notice that if they have a, a football game where they catch eight passes for 100 yeah. yards and two touchdowns, if yeah. somebody else tweets that, they will retweet it. And that's something that when you and I were coming up, there wouldn't have been an opportunity to do that. But if I went, I played baseball. So if I went three for four with a home run and stole a base, if some newspaper writes that in their article or they just tweet it, do I then retweet it if I see it in eight or nine different places? So the whole landscape of self-promotion has changed with the advent of social media. We're also promoters now. Am I right? Oh, yeah. And... For the most part, we, like I said, if you want to grow your brand, you have to be because there's so much noise, but there's a way to do it with class. There's a way to do it by taking out the ego. There's a way to do it and support others. So there's a way to do it and it's, it should be okay. Um, Do you think your role or your profession has become much more valuable in the age of social media? Absolutely. That was quite a Um, boon, huh? An unexpected boon to your career? Completely, completely. And I think it's funny because when social media started to become a thing in the early 2000s, I was just getting into my career. And at that point, it was almost like a competition between does marketing own it? Does advertising own it? Does PR own it? And by it, it was like, posting on Twitter, posting on MySpace. And so when I was watching that, I was like, you know what? This just makes sense for for PR to help take over. Because if you want to build community, it's called communication. And communication actually is sent and received communication. Well, how do you get people to engage? Well, sometimes you make it about them. What are you guys excited to see when, when come game time? People were like, oh, the Raiders care about what we have to say. That's right. Well, I, I want to see so-and-so do this. Cool. Like, like it. There are now just specific social media agencies. The hard part with that is that if you don't have an expert communicator who understands two-way communication, you're going to go back to square one where you're just selling to people. So look at best practices and and bring someone in who can communicate. It doesn't always just have to be a PR person because now there are specific digital firms. But I was very lucky that a couple years into my career, um, I worked at a company called Voce. Voce Communications bought a digital marketing social media agency. They purchased and they brought them in 
And they said, we are going to work together. So every PR person here is going to understand how social media plays into the ecosystem now. And we are going to use social media as an amplifier of everything we do in PR. And the founders of that company, I just love them to death anyway. Like I just, I can't thank them enough for understanding it early on and giving me the opportunity to weave that into everything. So now that's part, that's, that's part of NRPR's, our soul. If, if a reporter writes a story about our client, we're going to share that hit with the client and say, hey, congratulations, the USA Today uh, feature just went live. Here are some suggested thank yous to the reporter for what they've done so that they see that you're giving them recognition and other people can then take and amplify it. So then it's like, hey, thank you at Dean Takahashi for the great interview. This is an awesome story. We appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. Everyone, if you want to find out about our new round of funding, read this great story. So we're not just pointing them to the press release. We're pointing them to Dean. And Dean's like, shoot, every time I write a story for you guys, I get 50 retweets. When you look at how social media does create community and when PR takes that in and does it right, it can be done well. What are the three most important things people should do for self-promotion? Consistency first. Make it easy for people to find you. So if you can, right, there are a lot of handles that are going to be taken, but if you can, even if you don't plan to use all the platforms right away, the ones that are being used, go and secure your name. So when people Google or they are trying to find you, especially for business or professional, on a professional sense, you want them to be able to find you to make those connections. So that's actually step one is just making sure that whatever that handle is, one, that it's not, it's not obnoxious. Just remember that we can't help it as humans. When we see something, we automatically start to register and not judge, but then we start trying to figure out, is this who I want to give my time or spend time with? It's a natural thing and it's never going to stop. That's just how our brains work. The next is honestly just being cognizant of what you're putting out. I was in my 20s once. I had fun. But I guess because I've always had to police so many images, it was, do I want my boss to see this? And if, or do I want my, my dad to ever see this? You think about how, how people do see you. Even my daughter, I taught her at a very young age. Look, before you get on Instagram, I want you to start a little mini business. And until your business is on Instagram, you can't have a personal one. And she was like, well, why? And I'm like, because you'll understand when you start it. So she's like, okay, well, she likes to make jewelry, right? So around 13, she started a little jewelry page. She'd create an aesthetic. She would use messaging and hashtags. Mm-hmm. And she would see that people were following her. And now I don't have to police my daughter's Instagram page. She's very cognizant about her personal brand. Make it easy for people to find you too, yeah. is be cognizant of what you're posting. What would be number three? Number three is just put your energy where it makes sense for either your business or whatever. So think about, again, even as an individual, if I'm a celebrity, if I want brands to be attracted to me, I need to know. When brands are deciding 
which figures they want attached potentially to their brand. Um, they look at numbers. They look at content second. And they look at the type of audience. Okay. So what are the platforms that show the most numbers? Twitter. Instagram. Facebook, yeah, but Facebook has now quickly become a third component. A little bit of TikTok now that it's here. And some Snapchat, but Snapchat, you can't see the followers. Snapchat, you have to physically show them how many people are watching your snaps. Mm. So if you want to basically create a case that you have influence, numbers don't lie. So understanding where brands look, which are those platforms, that's where you put your time and energy. And you need to be committed. Because oh. if, you, if you stop posting, if you whatever, you don't pay attention, you have other athletes who are utilizing the right platforms. They look attractive. They're creating community, which means they're creating influence, which means if I'm a brand, I want to work with you because you have the right numbers and you have the right content. So we're, here's a check. Have you noticed that social proof is more important to women than it is men? And I'm going to tell you why I'm asking. What do you mean by social proof? Social proof meaning you see that they're having success with others. Mm -hmm. So I ask that because you and I were, before we got on today to record, we were talking about your dating life a little bit. And men believe that women want men that other women want, right? You, women don't usually go for the, loner standing in the corner, there's got to be some social proof there. Men don't see women with guys around them. That's not something that is appealing. Right. I think women mistakenly believe that men think the way they do. And a lot of times we'll try to make a man jealous by posting pictures with other men online or whatever. And it just does not work. It's more of a turnoff than a turn on. It doesn't work that way the other way around. Yep. my perception it's something i've yes. thought a lot about have yes. you find have you found in the business world that social proof is more important to women than it is to men no when i think about ceos like and we're just going to say this from a ceo level and the reason for that is i think leaders in general are understanding that social proof has to be a thing to be taken seriously as a leader nowadays. So many men come to me and they say, Nicole, I need, I need help getting my, my Twitter going. What should I be saying? And maybe they're not aware of how to do it or also the why they're just, it's almost like, I think I just need to do this because everybody's now telling me. So I work with a lot of CEO males and, you know, I'll, I'll look at their social footprint and give them an assessment mm -hmm. and then just say, well, here's, here's all you got to do. Just make sure that when you're speaking on stage at a conference, put a picture up, make sure that you're retweeting other reporters so that they see that you're paying attention to what they're talking about. Um, so I think that there's a general awareness that it's just a, a, now it's just like a societal thing where it needs to happen. Right. It's funny because maybe, eesh, I, I, like I said, I don't think I'm built like your typical 
female. Yeah, I think just because PR has been my background, I understand the value of just having a good profile on there. Like you could look across the board at my profile and you don't see if if I'm taking pictures with with guys, they're my clients and I'm doing that because it's these are my homies. I don't need to go out of my way to make anybody jealous about anything because if a guy feels jealous, he's not going to trust me. Mm. I don't want to date anybody who doesn't trust me. So at the end of the day, I'm going to be a trustworthy person and that's going to come across my social media because that's the kind of woman I am. If a prospective date of yours or somebody who you were seriously considering a long-term relationship with Mm -hmm. saw pictures of you on your Instagram with a bunch of different men, is he more likely to be attracted or repulsed? Well, I hope that he's not repulsed. No, I'm just, I'm just talking but, about um, on, a, on a continuum. Do you think he's more likely to be attracted or repulsed? Probably. It's probably more of a turnoff, right? Guys don't want to... They, they want to feel like you're a challenge. They don't need to feel like they need to compete with 100 guys. That's annoying. Mm. Annoying, I think. Okay, same same game, but you're looking at a man's Instagram, and you see him in pictures with different women. On the continuum, would a woman be more repulsed or more attracted by that? Um, I think it depends on like the consistency. If he's been with the same, like if it's an ex girlfriend, that's not a big deal. I'll tell you, uh, years ago, probably in like mid to early two thousands, the guy that I I started dating. One of the reasons I wouldn't date him was because I would look at his MySpace and I looked at his Facebook and I saw that like on the weekends, it's like a different gang of girls around him. And there were probably two girls that it looked like he was steady dating, but one was in one city. The other was in the other city. One of them left their profile open. And what I saw was that he had just taken her to Hawaii with a couple of his friends now, he was just in LA with another one. And I looked at that and I was like, bro, you are so off on your branding. I'm not getting close to you. Are you kidding me? Like he didn't get it. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think that you see that this girl has her page wide open for everyone to see. And she's doing that because she doesn't want other females to think that you're available. That's why <laughs> she's not private. She wants to show off the fact that you took her to Maui and that you've been taking her to basketball games. She's mm-hmm. no dummy. And you so think that I, hurts his prospects. Absolutely. I would, you kidding me? I was like, I, I was a, let's say I was a top candidate. I, I looked <laughs> at my competition and I was like, well, I know why you're coming after me now, bro. But I'm like, I'm a big fish and I'm no dummy either. So I literally, I was very clear. I was like, yeah, no, you, we're not dating. Have you I'm ever sorry. been broken up with? Sure. Sure. Mm. Absolutely. And the first time I was 19, I take that back. I was broken up with in like junior high, but like that doesn't count. Right. Mm-hmm. I would say a really big breakup. And it was because of, um, and I'll tell you this, pretty girls don't just have it easy. So anybody who's like, Oh, you're pretty. You can have anybody. Blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. You become a fucking target for the guys who want relationships and the guys who just want something else. So don't Very just nice. fall for flattery. Ladies, <laughs> be careful. Wait, you're pretty. You're a, target and it's confusing and it's hard. Right. And so for me, when I was 19, my boyfriend at the time, um, was ready to like, 
go explore life. And we, we were cute little couple, whatever it is. We had, we had a pretty good thing, but I was also in a different transition in my life. I had to concentrate on school hard because my parents weren't paying for it. And he was going to a junior college. I'd gone to a university and we were trying to make it work, even though we were still living near each other, but my priorities were different. And so when I saw that he was wasting time smoking weed and drinking and wanting to party on the weekends and I had to work, I was like, you're throwing your life away. Like, why are you doing this? And I turned into that girl. I didn't even know I could be that girl. I was that girl at 19. And I was like, you're wasting your time, you know, and I can joke about it. I'll call him out. You're wasting your time, Adam. Why are you always with your friends? Why are you always with Matt and Jeff? And you're not studying. You should be taking this seriously. Like, you know, if we're going to get married, then blah, 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 you know, and he just wasn't in that place. Right. Mm -hmm. It, from we went from a cool high school relationship where everything was awesome, we're on the same page to dysfunctional marriage all of a sudden at 19. And so he basically he broke up with me and mm. he didn't explain it because I think at, at 19 you don't have the words. And I was devastated because I was like, like, am I ugly? Do you want something prettier? Do you want this? Do you, what do you want? And it took us a couple of years until he could actually explain what it was. Funny story, we actually ended up getting back together in our 20s and then he proposed and I said no afterwards. Mm. But, <laughs> but the explanation was um, I wasn't ready to, I, he's like, I wanted to fly. I, I got my freedom. I graduated high school and all of a sudden my parents weren't checking on me. I wanted my freedom. And if if you were also on the same page with the drinking and partying and not so much on school, we probably would have just stayed together because I did love you, but you were trying to make me responsible before I wanted to be responsible. Mm. And he's like, now I'm ready to be responsible. So let's get back together, you know, and which is really funny. So have I been broken up with? Yes. And I was devastated. Like my, my confidence level sunk because I just, I didn't understand. We're not great communicators when we're teenagers either. So it really hit me and I ended up falling into almost a forced relationship. I forced myself into the, the relationship I ended up having with my, my ex-husband because I felt so unworthy. And finally someone came, you know, who's older and wanted to like, not just date me, he wanted to marry me right away. And he's like, let's get married and have kids. And I'm thinking, well, if nobody else wants me and, and they did, but I was just always really picky. And I always thought what's wrong with me. I'm so picky, mm -hmm. but I always knew what I wanted and I should have just trusted that. So, so yeah, it's not, I have been broken up with, but the other cool part is recognizing that partners are also on their own path. You have to allow them to be on that path. And if you mm -hmm. can walk with them in the ups and downs of their own learning, then great. But it takes a lot of personal, like just confidence and like just communication and things that I had to learn that I'm glad for the, the relationships and the makeups and the breakups. Cause now I feel, I feel so prepared that I can be with a man who's super busy and not feel insecure about it. I'm like, bro, you need to go work. Cool. Well, so do I, well, when are we going to, when are we going to hang next Saturday? Perfect. Okay. I can check in with you. I don't, and I don't need to be watching what you're doing and scoping up on your Instagram. If I'm wasting time trying to babysit, I'm not thinking about the growth of my business. You have to allow people to be who they're going to be. 
And if you can find someone whose morals are in the right place, you really don't have to worry. So that's why I'm always like, if I'm going to be a woman of good moral character and attract that, mm-hmm. then I become a trustworthy person and therefore will bring in the same. And you just, you can't worry. I think women spend so much time. I like that. Mm-hmm. I think you attract what you become. And since we were having honest communications or honest conversations about communication, I figured we could talk about intergender dynamics because it's so interesting to me regarding social proof. One of the things that I noticed when I was dating, so I was a bachelor until I was almost 38 years old. One of the things I noticed was that a woman, I never had a woman tell me that she was the one that didn't end a relationship, basically that she had never been dumped. And I find that fascinating. And when I was about 30, 31, somewhere in there, I was on a date with a girl that used to be friends with the girl that I had dated for six years. And she told me that she and her friends couldn't believe when the girl broke up with me. And I, I thought she didn't break up with me. It was, it was the opposite. And then I thought (laughs) recently I was thinking, I don't know that you could get away with with that sort of thing anymore because somebody could start a podcast and they could say, hey, you didn't break up with me. I broke up with you. What are you doing? Right. So anyway, I think that's sort of a social proof thing. And I, I just find that interesting. Yeah. I, my- I even broke up with a girl one time. And when I was doing it, she said, well, so I guess I said, yeah, I, this the whole us being in a relationship, it's not what I want anymore. And she goes, oh, okay, well, I guess it's mutual. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's mutual. You know, you just want people to feel good about it. Sure. I, I don't know. I, oh, God, I'm, I'm so different, Brad. Oh, my goodness. I guess growing up, now you can really see my hair because my hat is driving me nuts. But um, so for me, I... Uh, <laughs> I've been broken up with. It doesn't make me feel any less pretty and who but I am. You would am. tell a guy on a date that you were broken up with, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I'm I'm super confident in who I am and what I've brought to other relationships. I'm homies with anyone I've ever dated, and I forgive because I don't want to walk around all hateful. When I got older, I just learned more how to communicate when something wasn't working for me. And, and always did it respectfully. And also I think people take it personally. And sometimes you get to a point where like, you know, Adam broke up with me the first time. And when we got back together and he proposed, I really had to sit and think with myself for a couple of months and thought, is this what I want forever? What do I really want in my future? And is he ready for that? ride. And I sat with him, sat down, I handed him his ring and I said, I'm going to be very honest with you because I don't want you feeling like your ego needs to walk around hurt. Like you are not a good man for someone else. Let me tell you something. I'm not Fremont anymore. I'm not just Fremont. I am something bigger than that. And I don't know if I'll ever get there, but if I don't try, I won't be happy and I won't be a good wife to you. Mm. I want to go to LA at some point and I want to build a business and I want to be 
I want to be like an inspiration to people. I want to travel the world. I want to drive more nice cars and I want to have a really big house that's not in Fremont. And I don't to try to mold yourself into something that you're not. I've known you since you're 18 years old. This is not you. Don't be something that you think I need just so that we can stay together. So I'm giving you back your ring because you are not the man that I want to stand next to for the rest of my life because my path is going to take me somewhere else. And he was devastated at first. And he's like, well, why? And I'm like, I just know who you are and you have to know that who you are is okay. And someone I'm always going to be thankful was, was there with me for a certain step and someone that if you ever needed anything, you need to know you can call me. He's like, it's somebody else. He's like, oh, you want somebody else. You're breaking up with me for someone else. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know who he is yet. <laughs> but yeah. Well, you may have had a few orbiters, right? A, a few men on the roster. <laughs> yeah, but, but things like that, like, you know, for me, it's, you have to learn to take that with a grain of salt and be very gracious and like, oh, thank you so much. It's a great compliment and whatever. But like, I was looking for my hero. I was looking for my my equal, someone who can stand toe to toe with me and like walk with me and not try to bring me down as I was trying to grow or not just trying to, you know, impregnate me and keep me home. Someone who was out conquering the world so that we could like high five after we, you know, conquered something and just relax and be at home together. So I was looking for, for my soldier, you know? And, and so I said, yeah, I'm leaving you for someone else. I just don't know who he is yet. Yet. But he's not you, and you need to be okay with who you are. And so he ended up finding someone who is, I said, you need to find someone your speed. Mm. You're not my speed. One thing I've always wanted to ask a PR person is there such thing as bad publicity? There absolutely is a thing. And that's why we try to make sure it doesn't happen, right? <laughs> and the problem is people get bad publicity and they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to come back. And it diminishes a brand forever because the, you've let the media control your brand forever. Now think about, think about Tiger Woods. Bad publicity around his affairs. Bad publicity around how that went down. He made a comeback, got back into golf. He needed to take a step back because personally, the media were kicking his butt, right? He got back into what he was good at, what he was known for, got his head on straight. I was excited to see him come back into golf. You know, when it came to golf, he's a great golfer. The people who are like, oh, well, he made a mistake. He made all these, these he had all these affairs and I'm not. Newsflash, majority of professional athletes are going to cheat. He's no different than 80% of the men who are literally having women throw themselves. Now, does that make it right? No. But does it make him a human who makes mistakes? Yeah. And he got caught. So he needed to figure out how to course correct. And so for him and his, his wife ended up, you know, forgiving and they're friends now. They're not together. That bad publicity 
publicity costed him a lot of money in sponsorship dollars. So is there such a thing as bad publicity? Hell yeah, there is. If women are throwing themselves at you and you're controlled by what's going on in your pants, sorry for your luck, but what happens in the dark comes out in the light. Have better self-control. That's it. Hold yourself to the highest of high standards. And know that with social media and cameras, people are going to find out. People are going to see. This is where self-respect and your own morals, you are not gods walking amongst men. Do you find yourself handling young people differently now than you did, say, 10 years ago? In in terms of lacking a skill set. Do you find young people have less of something nowadays, probably because of the ad? Is it writing skills? I find that too. Elaborate. I, I encourage any adult 25 to 45, go order on Amazon a fifth grade grammar book, a workbook. Work your way through it and tell me that you did it perfectly. Most cannot. Because what happens in fifth grade and elementary school through high school is you're kind of taught the rules, but they're not fully enforced. By the time you get to high school, maybe college, they're focused on the creativity of your writing, the structure and the thought that the basics of punctuation and sentence structure, if they are not reinforced, are gone. And then you have texting. My daughter is like, mom, my friends think that I'm mad at them when I use proper punctuation and grammar. And I was like, I don't care what your friends think. You're going to practice even in texts. Because if you can write, you can communicate. If you can communicate with the written word, you can get whatever you want. Because you're asking properly, you're sharing, you're thinking about the audience, you're structuring it, and you come across as educated. That's powerful. I know a lot of people in powerful positions who cannot write. Engineers that are CEOs of companies who cannot write very well at all. And it's, they won't humble themselves. I'm like, dude, just take an online class. Your grammar and punctuation is awful. And as someone who pays attention to a level of detail, if you aren't giving your all to yourself when you're, when you're writing, you don't care about the way your emails look. You just look sloppy. I don't want to do business with someone who's sloppy. I won't take them seriously. That is such an important point. And what you said about your daughter is fascinating about them basically keeping each other down without realizing it. You see a lot of that with the abonics that's going on. Uh They don't want to act a certain way. They don't want to assimilate in a certain way. It's, it's, I see a parallel there, but that's so interesting because I didn't know that that goes on with young people, but I can tell you since I maintained my bachelorhood for so long, as I began texting with women in their twenties, it was a whole different ball game. I mean, they speak a different language, basically. Oh. It wasn't until I was probably 34, this yep. would have been 2014, that I started 
letting someone know when I was trying to say something funny <laughs> because the younger generation would put LOL after something they said that was funny. With my friends, we knew each other's personality and that was factored into what was said and how right. it could be perceived. So everything right. has changed. And I can only imagine from somebody who's, I guess, these women that I dated would now be in their 30s, but I can only imagine 15, well, no, that would be 10, 10 to 12 years younger than these women I'm, I'm talking about. Your daughter's 19. The stuff that you see must just widen your eyes to an extent that I, I can't imagine. And then in your business, you're having to coach young people who come out of college, I imagine, and who you would think they have a college degree. They know how to, to write on a, on a basic level, but they don't realize that how, well, one, how different business communication is from the texting world. Yes. But two, most of communication nowadays is written. Yeah. Right. So you, you better get good at it. You better learn to be concise. Uh, the biggest mistake I see, so I coach young people and, and I ask them to give me samples of their writing and there's just so much fluff. They can't communicate what it is that they want to get across in yeah. less words, even after, I mean, I'll put brackets around. I'm like, okay, you could, this is unnecessary. This is unnecessary. But then they do the exercise again and they continue to make the, mis the same mistake. They've just been doing it for so long. Do you have a way that you try to get them out of those awful habits that they're in? Yeah. Here's a fifth grade grammar workbook. <laughs> you said the that. Whole thing. Yeah. Because what happens is there's a gap. It's almost like a, like a memory lapse. You're concentrating so much on the creative and the words that you forget that there are really cool structure rules put in place that will help you out already. What drives me nuts is like, do you know the difference between a noun and a proper noun? Do you know the difference between a noun and a pronoun? So when I'm explaining to them, this is the name of a business. It's a proper noun. What's the rule there? It's a fucking proper noun. It should be capitalized. So I should be able to tell you in this email that I'm looking at that you've drafted for a media person, all proper nouns need to be capitalized. And if you're looking at me like a, a deer in headlights, here's the fifth grade grammar book. Mm. It's that simple. If you can follow these basic rules and get them in, the rest comes so easy. But it's, it's, it's like this, this gap. And not everyone, not everyone has it, but most do. I've got it. I'm college educated. I have a college degree. Well, how many English classes did you take? Well, not just that, but when they're, when they're given a writing assignment from their professors, it's nothing like what the real world is. They're not telling you to condense your writing into two paragraphs. They would prefer to see eight pages. That's right. So they develop this habit of being verbose that is, is, not good because you need yeah. to be able to communicate what it is that you need or get a response if you're a salesperson and there ain't nobody that's going to read eight pages. <laughs> there are certain emails that I'll open up on my phone. If, if it looks overwhelming, not well-structured, I don't know where you want me to look and where you want me to make a decision, I'm, I'm either going to delete it or I'm going to say, what exactly do you want? Because I'm busy, right? So, you know, I have a daughter, she's 19 years old. 
And from the day she got into school, I said, the number one thing, I'm not even mad if you can't do math right, right away. English, writing, reading, comprehension. This is going to be your future because email is where things get done. You can have a great conversation. Follow-ups on email is where people are getting those, those details. They want to be able to write or read, see, understand, and be able to get them to yes. How do you get them to yes quickly? A really well-structured email. My daughter is probably a better writer than majority of the college, like new college graduates that I've ever hired. Because it's like from seventh, eighth, ninth grade, she'd show me her papers and she'd be like, mom, did I do this right? And I'd be like, absolutely not. I'd make her correct it. So she was turning in, you know, really solid work. And she's not a a perfect, perfect writer, but she's a damn good one. And it's because if something happens to me and I think about survival, right? I want my daughter to be able to survive in this world. And your level of survival nowadays is completely like incumbent on your level of communication. God, is that true? If you cannot communicate, there are deals that die, relationships that die, opportunities that die because you can't communicate. And I'm like, that's, that is the one thing that I'm going to make sure my daughter knows. That's why I, when she's like, oh, mom, I'm going to text this. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, girlfriend, it, first of all, that's not spelled right. Second of all, you didn't use the, the period in the right place. And that's when she told me, she goes, mom, my friends think that I'm mad at them <laughs> because <laughs> I use proper punctuation. And I'm like, you just need to un- tell your friends then. I'm no dummy and I'm going to practice my writing in every platform that I can. Yeah, it takes putting your foot down sometimes. So if you get a statement in a text or, or what is intended to be a question, but there's no question mark, I'm going to give you some tough love and say, I didn't reply to your text because there's no question mark. And I guess that's my altruistic way of trying to improve the world. If I got to be an asshole, then I'm going to do that. You and I are on the same team then, bro. We're yeah, on the same team. Because we're born on the same day, only 12 months apart. Would you hyphen your name if you got married? it depends on the last name. If it becomes Clooney, I'm taking Clooney. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry, Amal. You can, he's totally yours. Like no threat, but damn, that, that would be a last name that I would capitalize all caps, drop mine for sure. And take that one on. I don't know. I guess I, I haven't thought about that. There is a, a, I am traditional in a sense to where I'm okay with taking my, you know, future husband's last name. I am very proud of my last name and what I've, built behind my brand. I want to talk about personal finance a little bit. I imagine the cost of living is very high where you live. And since we live in a virtual world, why would anyone choose to live in Beverly Hills? So I grew up in a really awesome town. Like I love Fremont. I am forever thankful that that was where I grew up because at that point it was, it was a very simple, quiet, town where I could still ride my bikes at, you know, with my friends at nine o'clock at night, come home, feel safe. And my grandparents, thankfully, when they moved to Fremont and and sort of created that safe haven, it was a predominantly white neighborhood. And I loved, like, it was cool being the the different one. They're like, Puerto Rican, what's that? Like, I don't know. Is that Mexican? No, I know it's definitely not Mexican, but like, it's Latin. 
So, you know, and it's, it, we were just curious kids and we would talk about it. It'd be fun. And so, you know, and then we had our, you know, our black friends, we had our Asian friends, we had our Mexican friends and just being so different was actually kind of cool. When I was 15, my sophomore year, my best friend was Tim Hess, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, white guy with this like crazy little Puerto Rican best friend. We were like inseparable. Okay. Like Tim Hess still to this day, love him to death. He's married with two kids and he, we were, we were working on a class project like we always did. But the goal was to describe your ideal scene for a, for a country. If you were to lead a country, um, what would it be called? What laws would be in place and what would it be like? And I remember describing basically Beverly Hills to him. I'm like a perfect world for me. There's like palm trees. It's beautiful. People are driving nice cars. They're dressing nice. They're eating at fancy restaurants. Like at 15, I knew that's what I liked. And he's like, really girlfriend? Like, okay, Beverly Hills 90210. It's funny because I didn't take offense to it. It was more like that was the mindset. Most people who lived in Fremont at that time didn't leave Fremont because it was still kind of like an up and coming community. No one was thinking about getting out. I have, I have dreams for some reason of something bigger. And at 15, I knew. And so it became a goal for me. 10 years ago, I went to go visit my friend in Westwood. And I was like, this is a cute little town. And she's like, yeah, Beverly Hills is down the road. And there was like a Beverly Hills mansion party. I was like, holy I get to go with you. And she was one of the, like we cheered together. So she moved to LA and lived in Westwood. So I went with her and my other friend, Carrie, we went to this Beverly Hills mansion party. And after that, I looked at them and I was like, this is home. So Fremont in reference to Fremont, California, where is it? Where's the closest big city? We're about 30 minutes from Oakland, 45 minutes from San Francisco. It's, and it's where the big Tesla headquarters is, is now uh, Fremont. Do you ever have to fight an assumption of snootiness or pretentiousness because your zip code is 90210? Totally. You know, my favorite part is when I'm buying things like over the phone or I have to give my credit card and they're like, okay, um, what's your you know, credit card number? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, zip code 90210. <laughs> some people don't even think that it's real and i'm like it's a real place i That's i hilarious. live there and it's, it's, so it's funny and the cool thing is is to like i've never lost myself i'm still very much fremont in my soul and that doesn't even mean that people in beverly hills aren't nice in fact most of them are the nicest people you'll ever meet the funny thing about beverly hills is it's old money no one needs to feel like they're pretentious at all I've met the most down-to-earth, cool people because they don't have anything to prove. That's just their life. It's just a preference of, of energy. I want to be able to walk outside, walk to Rodeo Drive, buy a couple things, walk back home. And I and, like that. And up until about a week ago, you could do up that. Up until about a week ago. Now I'm not walking on Rodeo Drive for a minute. <laughs> are, but, you yeah. a, are you a budgeter in, per, in your personal life? Sure. Absolutely. You have to be like, you could, that's what people don't understand. You could be a millionaire. You could still run out of money. What are you doing to make sure that your money is working to make more money, that you're still working to be of value and that you don't run out of money? 
being a millionaire is actually not, it doesn't mean that you're free of any care of budgeting at all. Can you buy more things? Yes. But you're still budgeting. There are still limits. Any, anyone who thinks that you're not doesn't understand it's expensive to live where I live. Yes. I could probably have three mortgages in the Midwest for what I'm paying, whatever. But it's, I, it's safety for me. It's where, where my business is, where my friends are, where my daughter feels safe, where I feel happy. It just means I need to keep working. So that means that, yeah, I have, I have pretty high bills. I could also choose to drive less nicer cars than I do. But I feel real good driving the ones that I have. That just means I have to keep working and I budget other things so that I can pay for it. It's, it's, a, it's a balance. No matter how wealthy you are, you're, you're looking at budgets and making sure you don't run out. Yeah, I like the point you just made. You still have to pay, play. When you're a millionaire, you still have to play defense. Thank you. And by the way, if you are that and you're employing other people, you got to pay all their bills. No joke. I look at my team and I, I look at them. I'm like, you guys don't understand the pressure I have on my, my, my shoulders. My, I pay your bills. I take that very seriously. When, I, when payroll runs, that payroll has to be on time so that you can pay your bills. I've sacrificed a few times on my own pay when clients are late paying. It's so annoying. My people. That's what I think about. They are the engine that keeps things going. I might be the soul, but they are the engine that keeps things rocking. And if they are not paying their bills and keeping a roof over their head, they can't produce. My bills are much higher than most people. If I, you know, if, if a certain dollar amount isn't coming in a month, it, it, that kind of pressure is hard. There's more money, more problems. There, there's a lot of stress that comes for having to pay the bills of 17 people, including imagine. yourself. Yeah, I think. So of that's the thing that kills me that people are like, oh, you're in Beverly Hills. You're rich. You don't have any problems. Do you have to pay 17 people's bills? <laughs> Plus your own. Oh, you don't have. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 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 hard. <laughs> so. Yeah. Indeed. To take the millionaire metaphor a little further, you could. You could get wins early playing offense. Yes. And that is how you build wealth initially. You need to focus mm -hmm. more on your income sure. than your returns. But mm -hmm. if, if being a millionaire is a championship of sorts, then defense wins championships. Right. That's right. And if you're not putting money into a high-yield savings and a 401k and trying to see where else you can invest so that your money is still making money in some way, shape or form. You're not investing in other people who are producing for you. You're not playing defense. That championship, you're going to win one ring and you're out. <laughs> you're spending it and then you're spent rebuilding. That's not fun. That is, not, that is also why in a pandemic, it became really clear, like, when people are like, they, they want to criticize a company for being profitable. 
oh, well, you're profitable. You, you have, it's called putting money away for a rainy day. I'm not going to take all that profit and we'll give it to myself. That'd be dumb. I'm going to put it away in the savings because in case something happens to the economy, I lose a big client. I have to be profitable to be fiscally responsible, not profitable so that I could buy seven cars and be a dummy, <laughs> profitable to save for a rainy day. And guess what? Thank God I've been profitable and saved and then buy seven cars with that money because the people whose bills I pay, I can still pay their bills and give them their check. And for anyone who wants to criticize a business for trying to be profitable, that's why, bro. That's why. Because if I was not profitable and already losing, now you see the businesses, why they're closing forever. Yeah, profit is a dirty word in some circles. You have to be profitable to keep your people going. It's not, it doesn't all just go to the owner. And if it is, oh man, I've met some CEOs who have dropped some knowledge on how much they're spending on their companies. And I'm looking at them like, I literally dropped a client because he was like, oh, you don't fly first class. You don't, your, your company's making enough money. I fly first class if you, my client, are going to pay for me to fly first class, but I'm not going to spend my company's money so I could just fly first class. Now, if I get a bump up, hell yeah, I'm going to do it. And I've done it, you know, with your points. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, him, his wife, his kids. So you pay for your five-year-old to fly first class on your company's dime, bro? <laughs> and you, and he's like, and yeah, this is my, you know, my salary plus blah, blah, blah. and it made me sick to my stomach because I'm like, now you are the reason why people, and I'm like, you know how much, now you're worried about raising more money. You know why you're worried about raising more money? Because your dumbass doesn't know how to actually save. And your five-year-old just flew a $3,000 round trip first class to New York. <laughs> how many times has, has that happened? So it, it just, it, it baffles me that I'm, I'm just like, so you're, you're not profitable because you're eating the profits. So now you have to go raise more money. That's stressful. I can't imagine a five-year-old flying first class. Is, is that who you would want your kid going to school with? And you want him yeah. sitting in a second grade class with someone who's flown first class three times? That's, that's not a good look. Oh, it, was just, it was the five and the three-year-old. <sighs> the five and the three-year-old. And I was just like, is Unreal. that nice? So your your round trip just from California to New York each time because you want your kids to be there with you is twenty grand of your company's money. How many times do you do that in a quarter? A hundred thousand dollar average a quarter, and then you're getting babysitters to watch your kids while you're doing business meetings, and then you worry why you're running out of money. And don't come to me saying you need to make your PR budget smaller. You certainly don't. Because the PR is actually helping you make money, not your kid flying to New York with you. Have a nice day and good luck with your company. I can't work with people like that. Mm. That's what's wrong. You know what I mean? And so it's mm. like, I'm going to call that out. As soon as he told me that, I was like, and then he came and was like, I need to, I need to slash my PR budget just a little bit. No, you don't. You need to keep your kids at home when you fly to New York. How about that? That's a $15,000 savings each time. Yep. <laughs> You're so, spending there. Yeah. You're investing here. That's right. That is right. So I understand why companies need to be profitable, and they do. 
They absolutely do. And that also means that the leaders need to be fiscally responsible and hold themselves to a higher standard of spending. Yeah, my friends were like, oh, are these companies making all this profit. I'm like, if my company just brought in over a million dollars last year, whatever it is, that's not my million dollars. That is not my million dollars to spend. That is not my whole million dollars. <laughs> that is, this goes to savings. This goes to bills. This goes to rent. This goes to new office equipment. This goes to this. This goes to advertising. That's not my whole million dollars. <laughs> so it's it just, it's, yeah. Oh. We do well in this country if when young people graduated at 22, 23, whatever age they're done with their degree, if we then taught them basic economics along with basic writing, there are so many basic skills that are just skipped over. My favorite is like, hi, I just graduated. Um, I don't have any experience. I have about six months of an internship. I was thinking, you know, 50000 a year. <laughs> you could fucking graduate from, I'm sorry, you can graduate from, you know, Stanford, whatever it is, Harvard. Bro, what you learned in that school is not enough for what you're going to have to accomplish here. And until you prove that you know step one, two, three, and four, that's the value that you bring into the company. You don't just bring value because you walk in, you're breathing, and you come in with a certificate. Because some of the people, too, you, you graduate from a prestigious school. I don't know your work ethic, and I don't know your values, and I don't know that your parents weren't strict enough on you. So you can come in with this huge sense of entitlement and a USC, whatever it is, degree, and be a total. Like, I can't even... And, you, and then you don't want to work. Then your degree doesn't actually mean anything. Not if you don't want to come in and work. You're actually worth less than the salary that I'm giving you because you're not producing. And Give that's why I don't have any problems letting people go. When I see that, it's hard to always see it in the interview um, I was just going to ask, give me a question that you can ask to try to decipher whether or not they are an entitled kid who was coddled by their parents and hasn't learned the basic interpersonal skills that would be required to thrive in an office like yours. How strict were your parents? What would happen if you didn't do well in class? You weren't understanding a subject. What would you do? I ask them their classroom behavior and their parents, because guess what? I am the worst boss you'll ever have if you didn't have strict parents and good hard work ethic in school. Ah, I was a C average, D average student. I kind of skated by. I found ways around it. Get out. You didn't learn everything you were supposed to learn. You just learned how to beat the system. Oh, she's so mean. She didn't give me a certificate for showing up on Friday. Fuck out of here. Literally. I will not hire you if you were basically coddled. I don't understand your world. You won't understand me. And I'm just going to be a really mean boss who's all about herself and growth. No, I'm a coach. I come in here and this is finishing school for the PR people who want to make it and be real good. And for those people, they succeed and they stay. And then when they're off to their next thing, they're appreciative. And I have so many of those. When you have some who, oh, they, they hit their 90 days and they're like, wow, this is a lot of work. 
what do you think work is supposed to be? <laughs> Party? And then when it is, and you get a job where things are easy and those companies have to make decisions on whether or not they have to cut, especially in a pandemic, gets who gets who's being cut. You, bro, because what value are you bringing? None, because you're, you're showing up late, not fully hitting deadlines, but you're showing up. I've seen can, bosses in the real estate business who were younger, but afraid to ask for rent that was late because they don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Or they'll see girls that are talking in the office and say, I think that you're getting too friendly and you might be leaving out Ellen over here. So can you try to be a little more inclusive? I mean, it's just a constant coddle. They live in a world of constantly wearing a mask where the truth is never spoken. And it's incredible. And that's at a lot of places. There are going to be people in your life that you're like in elementary school, you can't choose who's in your classroom. There's always, it's like that funny way of figuring out who's, who's your crew, who's your vibe. Like you attract what you are or you attract what you allow people to think you are. That's why being true to yourself is so important. I guess being the oldest of nine kids, we might've all grown up together, but there are only some that I can stomach for a certain amount of time. And some where I'm just like, we don't relate. Like me and my brother are super close. Is he close with all my, his sisters? Absolutely not. And so it's going to be the same thing at work. You're, you could be in a big corporate company. There's going to be a ton of different types people around. That's why the hiring process is also really important. You want to hire as many people who have the same values and work ethic as humanly possible. So everybody is vibing and getting along. There's a certain energy that like, you know, Moby TV, when I worked in house at that company, you know, the vibe of just everybody down to earth, but high production. And then we could, we could tell who wasn't producing. We'd be like, you up last night with us when we were trying to get this thing done? Oh no, I blah, blah, blah. Yo, bro, we're trying to get this press release done. We were all up on, on Yahoo IM last night. You were missing from the party. We call each other out like friendly and we'd be like, that's right, we're all here to win. And this is why with Moby TV is now a client of mine. The vibe is still very much the same. And all of these people that I used to work with we're still helping each other out now in the businesses that we're in right now. It's because we, we get each other. We're vibing. And if you're going to try to force me to get along with someone who's a total jerk off, whose values are not with mine. Nope. And so I just, that's why I fire clients. I encourage young people to find their, their tribe, so to speak, as it pertains to the workforce, because when you Mm -hmm. get around people, who are high energy, it is infectious. And you can find people of high integrity and people that you respect. And as soon as you get around those people, I, I encourage them to plant seeds, to find ways to serve them, uh, knowing that you will earn later, like try to learn as much as you can from those people. I think a lot of people they spend too much time working for people that they don't respect or don't have a good work ethic. We tend to think that people older than us have a better work ethic. You see lazy people of all ages. If you're in your 20s and you're working for somebody that you don't respect or you question their integrity, start looking for another job because 
relationships compound the same way money does. So you need to start building it as soon as possible. So get around the right people as fast as possible. And one guy or girl can make your career. I mean, if somebody comes out of college, somebody listens to this, comes to work for yeah. you, they come to work for you because they know how you are. Yeah. If they attach themselves to you for the next 20 years, that one relationship can make their life and career. Absolutely. And I, I you know, that's exactly the truth because it's funny, you know, there's, um, um, a girl who, God bless her. I just, I love her. I miss her already. Friday was her last day because her dad is very sick and she's, she's now taking care of, you know, the, the family business and, you know, whatever it's been, it had been progressing and she has been with me for a little while and I adore her. And up to the very last second she was on the team, she produced because she knew, like she came in ready to learn and work hard and manage and build up. She'd gotten multiple raises and a promotion. She deserved it. I'm not one to hold anybody back. You know why? Because I have enough confidence in what I've built in my career that I don't need to, I don't feel threatened by anybody who works for me. For God's sakes, if any of you can prove that you can do what I do right now for this company better, the CEO position is open. I will take a chairman role and you can run because I would love to golf <laughs> five days a week. But until you can prove that you know how to do that, I'm going to help get you there. I'm going to teach you what's here because I'm not afraid to give you my knowledge because I already know what it is I can do. I'm, there's, I've done it, you know? And so I see value when they grow, I feel so good about it. So I had, you know, but to her, I told her, I said, I was like crying on our last Zoom together on Friday. And I said, you know what, honey, you call me for anything. Mm. You take care of your dad and you call me for anything. You need to help do your dad's company's PR and marketing. And you need someone to look at your press release. You call Coach Enrod, and I will look at it. I'll gut check it for you because she knows she's only a couple years, you know, into her career. I didn't know everything a couple years in my career. I had a gut feeling that I was going to be good, but I also knew I needed training. So she can call me forever. And there are a lot of people who have worked for me who still to this day do that. Now you burn a bridge with me. Ooh, don't think that I'm not connected in this industry that people that you try to interview with will call me without you knowing because my name's on your resume. <laughs> hey, Nicole, this person, blah, 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 just applied. See, I see that they worked for you for a couple months, uh, a couple years ago. What happened? Don't think I'm not being honest. Oh yeah. She was an entitled ass. How about that? That's what happened. Oh, so I shouldn't, I, I'm like, look, if you want someone to come in and dress cute and not do any work, you should definitely hire her. <laughs> you make another good point. There are a lot of us, people our age out there that have stuff in our head that we're willing to pour out. It just takes the right person. We're very willing to help people who are willing to help themselves. That's right. That and is spot the, on. The way that, I mean, you can start build, building relationships with those people. I always mm -hmm. say that, that good networking doesn't look like networking. It's becoming a person of value to other people. So figure out a way to serve those people. Don't ask to pick their brain. That's, that's all about you, right? Yep. So, yeah, another good point. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate all the time that you've given me. I like to do fun questions before we, we yep. wrap this up. Are you cool with some fun questions? Sure, yeah. 
All right. Apple or Android? Apple. How do you feel about the Oakland Raiders becoming the Las Vegas Raiders? So happy. I helped helped with the messaging. Beautiful. What celebrity story have you told the most to your friends, good or bad? Honest. Please. A Shane Mosley Twitter story about how not to let your girlfriend manage your Twitter account so she doesn't say dumb things. And Celebrities will turn over their Twitter or their Instagram to their girlfriends. She's also his manager, so they'll turn it over to people who can manage those things for them. And if they aren't really a trained professional, they're not going to do a good job. And they might get you hot water. Sugar Shane Mosley. That's right. What about personally? The celebrity story that you've told the most in your personal life? Uh, Oh, like just about a a fun... Maybe, maybe the story about there, there are two, probably, um, the one about Warren Sapp, who would, would I'd bring my daughter to the Raider facility, like big old Warren Sapp would pick up my little two, three-year-old daughter, chat with her, walk around, talk to the PR staff. And I'd be like, yo, I'll be back in about 10 minutes. I need to go run over here and go do this. And he's like, yeah, we'll just talk to Zach, you know, or whatever. And it's like, and she'd be like, Hey, and everybody knew the fun. So and it, people don't see football players in this like really cool light that I got to see them in. Um, so I, I, I've shared that one a lot. And the other one was Jerry Rice. The very first time we ever, ever had a conversation, I was in with my boss and he came in, he had just joined the team and thinking I'm this, you know, young little girl intern and he needed to have a conversation with, you know, my boss in, in the PR department. And my favorite was because Jerry Rice started as a 49er, right? So I'm like, you got to earn my, my respect. <laughs> I might just go, wait a minute, you know? And so it's funny. So I'm sitting there and he comes in, like he can just, you know, come in and split up our conversation or whatever. He's like, Oh, yo, da, 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 I need this. And I looked at him and I was like, boy, we're not done. <laughs> Looks at me. And he's like, do you know who I am? And I was like, yes. And you'll always be a 49er to me until you earn my respect. And until I'm done with this conversation, then you can come in. He's like, Oh, like he just didn't even see that coming. He's like, yeah. Like, okay, this is the new PR girl. Like the, okay, you're good. And Jerry and I became fast friends after that. I was at the Mandalay Bay waiting to get picked up by a taxi and he was in Mm -hmm. line directly behind me. And do you know, I didn't talk to him. I always have these encounters or almost encounters with celebrities and sometimes i just put myself in their shoes and think would i want to be bothered right now he had a woman with him i assume was his wife i just wouldn't want people talking to me all the time so unless there's an eye contact or something i just will leave them alone out of respect you know an easy way around that and and this is speaking from i'm certainly not a celebrity by any means but when i was a raiderette in the community, you become a mini, like people, they recognize you, they follow, right? So what I learned was, and I did this with Adam Sandler, but like, you don't have to like strike up conversation or whatever. You want to say something? I've never, like, I've never stopped myself when it was somebody that I really like wanted to know, whatever. And here's what you do. You can turn around and just say, hey, huge fan. Keep it going. Mm. Keep it up. I'm really, I'm really glad that you were standing behind me. Just wanted you to know that I recognize. And, and you can say you had your moment with Jay Rice. 
<laughs> yeah, but I don't even need that. I, I don't know. It's like it's where Adam Sandler walked into. He, we, we were at Barney's Beanery, and he was hanging with all of his homies. And he came out. We were just waiting for our cars together. I just looked over at him. He was getting ready to walk to his car, and I was like, "Hey, I'm a huge freaking fan." The last celebrity encounter I had was in Bali. There was a guy who kept staring at my wife and I as we walked in, and I told her, "I said, I think that's Russell Simmons." And I thought that he would be such an interesting person to talk to. He's a very smart guy. He's had so much success. And I thought about how I wanted to approach him. And what I said to him was, he was on the bench doing bench press and he was sitting up and Mm -hmm. I was doing deadlifts at the the little rack beside him. And I went over to him and I put my hand on his his upper back and I said, your work has, has enriched my life, man. And he turned to me and he said, What's your name? What is your name? I mean, he was so excited. And so that's how we got to talking. So if I were to approach a celebrity that I really wanted to have a conversation with, that's how I might start just to let them know if they indeed have enriched my life in some way to let them know that. And I think that would be appreciated. We're all human, even celebrities. That's why they have the same wants, needs. They pee like the rest of us, you know, they have their own insecurities. You just approach it remembering that it's a human to human contact and and kind of being around it now all the time. It, it's you see it even more. It's like they really are just they're like us. It's just they get to dress up more often and be in the public eye. Would you be famous tomorrow if you could be? I don't have a craving for it, but would I have a problem with it? No. There are certain parts of my life that I, I like to remain private just simply because being a celebrity, you don't, people don't realize it comes with a lot of pressure and scrutiny and people constantly, like, I don't like being told what to do. Being a celebrity, you actually have to be a little bit okay with that. I'm not afraid of it. If something were to happen and all of a sudden Nicole Rodriguez is blah, 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 I just would want to make sure that I could maintain some level of privacy and, and to myself, because it's like, if you can't recharge, you're not going to be a good human. You're going to be tired. You're going to be cranky. You're going to say the wrong thing. Good thing is I'm already trained on how to work with the media. So I'm not worried about policing myself, you know, with that aspect, but, um, it's tiring. Yeah. And it's crazy. You can't ever go back once you're there. I don't think I would want it. Once you're there, you can absolutely fall off. Think about the, the child stars who were child stars when we were kids. How many yeah. of them could be walking around Beverly Hills right now and no one gives a... They don't care. Because mm. they don't know them anymore. That's why it's like once you stop publicizing or whatever, your, your value kind of in that public eye sense kind of goes down. That's Mm -hmm. why you find like some of them just take a break because it's so tiring. So I'm not going to do any PR. I don't want to do any of it. I'm tired. I don't want to be recognized when I walk down the street. All right. Fun questions are going to get a little harder. You're the oldest of nine siblings. Yes. Do you hope that you're the first to go to heaven? Yes. Mm. I don't, I don't ever want to see the day where one of them goes before me. If somebody dropped $100,000 in your lap tomorrow and you had to invest it in a technology company because you thought it was going to do well the next five to 10 years, but you couldn't do any research, let's say you had to make the decision on the spot, 
what would you, where would you put it? It's a toss up. Between? Reddit. So if I could somehow invest, they're not a public company, but I think Reddit has a lot of promise. Their based CEO on fact- quit yesterday. He did see not being able to do research. I might, might have made a wrong decision. Um, I just feel like Reddit is like an underdog that has a lot of opportunity to come up and eventually be a public company. And in this pandemic, I feel like a lot of people are jumping onto the we rather than I, which is like Facebook is like me, 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 I, I, I. Reddit is conversation and information sharing. Or actually this new company that I love and am working with now, it's called Symposium. I would, you know what? I would give it to Symposium. They are an incredible platform for people who want to do video conferencing like this, but have one place where people will pay, schedule, and do this. So like if you wanted to charge someone for advice, you'd have to have them Venmo you, schedule it with Calendly, and then you'd do- jump onto a Zoom and you'd have to do that all yourself. You go on to symposium, you find someone you want to ask a question of or sit and talk for 30 minutes. I'm going to pay. It's already going to hit both of your schedules and you both get to chat and talk. To me, it's like they've closed a lot of gaps and um, they're helping a lot of people right now in the pandemic make some money really Mm -hmm. easily. So it's like self-managed business. How interesting that you said Reddit who released a statement from their CEO yesterday saying that he was stepping down and he was going to make sure that a black person took his role. How's that oh, for messaging? See? Then hell yeah, I'd still give it to Reddit then. I thought you meant he just stepped down because like he was like, you know, cashing out. Like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. No, that's uh, incredible. Okay, I'm going to give you a name and you tell me if they are overrated or underrated. John Gruden. Underrated. That dude is legit. That is a legit coach. And if anyone has any problems with how hard he works and how much he wants you to be on the field and give your all, you don't deserve to be freaking working under him. That man is freaking everything. (laughs) Underrated. (laughs) Lori Greiner from Shark Tank. Overrated. Not going to elaborate on that one. <laughs> no, too much female to female. I'm not trying to deal with people mainly. You need to support women and blah, blah, blah. There's some things that I think she does very, very well. Other things that I'm just kind of like, uh, stop it. It's so annoying. I don't know. I guess because I'm such, I'm just, I'm a really chill down to earth kind of female leader, CEO. It's just, stop. You don't have anything to prove. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Aw. Oh, that's so hard. It's maybe underrated. I think he's, you know, it, it takes a lot to do what he's done. And he's, he's, he's had his mistakes, I mean, with personally. But professionally, I think he's done a lot of really great things. So maybe underrated. Gavin Newsom. Underrated. I do like him. Mm-hmm. I've met him in person. We've talked. Um, I don't know if all of his values and views I agree with, but as a leader at this point, I think I'd much rather have him for president right now than, than where we're at. I assume you had a chance to look at either my Instagram or my blog. 
to make sure that you weren't jumping on a podcast with somebody who was a lunatic. What was your assessment of me? You seemed very like real. You talk about things that like actually seem meaningful, very inspirational too. So I had no problems. You didn't seem like a wacko because you know, there are other people who are like, Hey, I want to have you on my podcast. And I'm like, little off brand. The nice thing I liked about you is that I could actually tell too that you do, you get to know a little bit about the people that you are interviewing, that you're not just coming from a, I'm going to just ask them questions. You know, you're, you think about who you're delivering to your audience. I could tell that. Nicole, this was a wildly fun conversation. Yeah, very candid. I really appreciate you being here. This was awesome. How can people connect with you online or, or find your book? Yeah. So the, the, the easiest way to connect with me across the board at Nicole RPR is my personal handle. If you want to follow what my company is doing, maybe you need, you know, PR advice or you want to see how marketing can be done um, at NRPR group. My book can be found Beverly Hills Boss, all just spelled out the right way, the right way, dot com. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find the book. It's also, obviously, you can order it on Amazon. But if you go to the website, I also give away a top 10 like free. And this is like a free report. Like if you want to start a business and you don't have, you know, you don't want to spend time buying the book, fine. There are 10 things that I've seen with CEOs and even mistakes that almost, you know, that I've made. It's like mistakes report, download it for free. It's a quick and easy read. And it'll, it'll help guide you and I think take away some of the nerves that you might have of, you know, going into business and the importance of building a strong team and becoming strong yourself in order to keep it going. So I recommend go there. And then if you, you know, you can order the book there or just go straight to Amazon if you don't want the, the free report. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Friends, I am humbled by your listenership. If you enjoyed this episode with Nicole, please copy the link and send it to a friend. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And if you wish to follow my adventures on Instagram and Twitter, I am at man underscore overseas. Thank you, friends. Thank you.